You're listening to a sermon from Pastor Caleb Gordon of First Baptist Church of Cedarville, Kansas. We pray this message encourages and blesses you this week. If you'd like to join us to worship in person, we meet every Sunday at 11 a.m. at 418 Monroe Street in Cedarville, Kansas. We would love to see you. Find out more about us online at our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Cedarvale First Baptist. If these messages bless you in any way, please consider giving to help support the ministry at First Baptist Church. Our mailing address is First Baptist Church, Cedarvale, Kansas, P.O. Box 456, Cedarvale, Kansas, 67024. If you've got your Bibles, go to Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. Um, the last time we were together in Acts, uh, we were at the beginning half of Acts chapter 19, and we saw Paul go into Ephesus, and he, he remained there, and he, and he preaches, but he, how does he start? He starts in the first half of this, and he meets this group of 12 men who think that they're, they're, they're saved, they think that they're believers, and Paul asks the right questions and as a result of this, he preaches the gospel to them. And these 12 men understand and believe and hear the gospel and believe the gospel. And as a result of Paul, along with these 12 men, they, they took the, the, the message of the gospel seriously. And they go out and they go preach to the entire place. And after two years, two years, all of the residents of Asia had heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Now, that doesn't mean all of them were saved, but Paul and his group of people took the mandate of preaching and proclaiming the gospel and and sharing the good news of Jesus with the entire nation, the entire area, the residents of Asia. Have you looked at a map? Asia's really big. It's large. And he took Paul and a cup of Paul, Apollos, and then these 12 men, and what happens? The entire nation hears the word of God. So we saw that after two years of reasoning with the Jews, he preaches in, in such a meaningful way that everyone, not just Paul, but these men that are, that are passionate about the Lord Jesus Christ, they all go and share the gospel. He, he had a power, like he just... He, like, God provided Paul with such a ferocious tenacity and such spirit-filled power that, man, it just, we're going to see in a minute some of the most amazing things happen. Paul's preaching for two years the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in this area. And so we're going to see that this, there's just this massive amount of power that comes out of, of what Paul is doing. And it's, it's not... You can't, he can't say, well, you know what, it's because I, as Paul, the apostle, am a great guy, I'm fantastic, I've done all these things. He can't say that. All of this is coming about as a result of God's divine power working through Paul. Now, I don't, I, listen, I, I don't want to diminish Paul and who he is. The, the level of Paul's Christianity was second to none. Like, he was a ferocious man of God. He had, he had power that could not be matched by any other human being. And the only reason that that is the thing is because God was in the middle. Christ was in the middle. Um, it wasn't because he was an awesome human being. Rather, it was because he submitted himself to God's will and the advancement of God's kingdom. And God blesses that. And so it reminds me of James chapter 4 where 
James writes in verse 7 and 9, it says, Submit yourselves therefore to God and resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. You double-minded, be wretched and mourn and weep and let your laughter be turned to mourning. Humble yourselves therefore before the mighty hand of God and what? He will exalt you. That's what Paul did. Paul submits himself to the things of God in the places where he is. And, and just, he does some extraordinary things. We're going to start in Acts chapter 19 and verse 11. And I, I just, this, is, this, is, this, is, this story is fantastic. I love this. Verse 11. And God was doing, and now who, notice, what does the text say? Did it say Paul? No. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hand of Paul. So it wasn't Paul who's doing this. It's God through Paul that's doing these things. So God is doing extraordinary things. So who, who gets the glory out of all of this? God. God receives every ounce of glory. So that, verse 12, so God's doing these miracles so that even the handkerchief or the apron that had been touched by the skin, by, by Paul's skin, were carried away to the sick and to the diseased and left them, the, the, the evil spirits left them and came out of them. Uh, verse 13, well, we'll start. Well, listen, I, I want you to see this. Paul walked so closely with the Lord, submitted himself so ferociously to the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't even have to be in the same room or the same town when his, like, I, I don't know about you, I've never seen anybody be healed by a handkerchief. I know that there's these crazy guys on TV that throw out, hey, if you send in enough seed money, we'll send you this prayer cloth that we're going to pray over and maybe it might heal you. I, I've never seen that personally, but man, Paul was submitted and in love with the Lord Jesus Christ in such a ferocious way that he didn't even have to be in the room in order for folks to be healed. His handkerchief and his apron could be used by people to heal people. So who gets the glory out of that? Not the handkerchief. The handkerchief didn't do anything. It's God's power through those things. God can use any, any object, anything. Like he didn't even have to use Paul. He used his handkerchief. Like that's, I love that. It just, it's, it's fantastic. Um, like I said, God receives every ounce of the glory from these types of experiences, these types of scenarios, because it's God that does the work. It's God that does the, the, the healing. It's God that drives out the demons. That's going to bring glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. And listen, that's a level of faith not seen in today's world. And I know that there's those that are on TV that try to portray that they've got this kind of faith, but I'm telling you, this is next level kind of faith. Amen? All right, verse 13. So we, we see the good things that are happening from Paul's ministry, and then we've got some guys coming in in verse 13. Some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists. So, just, just look at this. Itinerant, they're, they're Jewish in descent. They're itinerant. I, itinerant means to travel and go around to different places. So they're itinerant Jewish exorcists. That's their title. Is they, they have this idea that they're able to expel or exercise out 
demons. Like they're tra- they travel, and this is what they do. They exercise demons out of people. So, <laughs> verse, continue in verse 13. This itinerant, the, 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 some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits saying, now listen to this, this is pivotal because this is interesting how they say this, I adjure you or I command you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims that's that's different this they're they're copycatting they they know that jesus that that paul's doing this in the name of jesus so they're like okay this is the formula guys they get together these jewish exorcists they get together and they say okay there's a formula here's the formula jesus paul paul's doing it so we're going to do this in the name of jesus that paul proclaims like seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. Verse 15. But the evil spirit answered them. Like this is, this, this is when it gets creepy. The, the evil spirit, the demon answers these people. And he, this demon says, Jesus I know. Paul I recognize. But who are you? Who, who are you? I don't know who you are. And the man in whom was the evil spirit. So the man who had the evil spirit in him. Look what happens. It leaves his body and leaps on these men and masters them all. That, that's, that's, that's kind language for it. He whips the thunder out of them. How do we know? He masters all of them and overpowers them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. Listen, Chancey, I've been in some fights before. Just a couple. Not very many. But I've never been in a fight that it was such a bad deal that I was completely naked when I left the house. I, you know, I've, I've never... <laughs> maybe some of you all have, but I have never been in a place where I'm like running out of a house completely nude after being in a fight. That's, that's a different kind of fight. So... It's eye-opening. These verses are eye-opening. Just as in today's world, we have these men and like just look at we have men and women today who claim to be able to heal, like Paul was healing. There are people who travel around to arenas. They fill arenas with tens of thousands of people and say, "Listen, we can bring healing. We can heal you in the name of Jesus." But they've got handlers who handle certain people. Say, "Okay, what's your ailment?" Like. There's stories of men and women who bring their dead babies to these conferences and to these giant arenas to try to have their baby brought back to life. That's wicked. Like, that's awful. That's awful. That is not of God to have these arenas where you can claim to believe that, or believe, you can claim to say, hey, listen, I can bring healing to those who need to be healed. But listen, only certain ones, the ones that have got a pain in their left side. Oh, that pain's gone. But if it's a physical, listen, I'm missing an arm. Listen, go back and pray harder for your healing. That's the stuff that's going on. So this is what these men in the text are doing. These seven sons of Sceva are going around exercising demons out. They've probably got a a plan in place um, to try to work this out. But they're they're charlatans and snake oil salesmen. 
They saw what Paul was doing and thought to themselves, hey, we might be able to make this thing work if we can just engineer this just right, have a guy in the crowd, we'll work this out, we'll get a little extra cash, maybe some fame, maybe some notoriety out of this thing. Maybe. And what happens is th- these men, this is, this is crazy what happens. One of the demons sees these men and they're trying, and these men are trying to exercise. They find this, this demon-possessed man. He's a legitimate demon-possessed man. And they get so enamored by their own foolishness that they think that they can take this on. Back to the idea of James chapter 4. Submit yourselves therefore to God and then resist the devil and then the devil will flee. These men had not submitted themselves to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They had not surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ. They were going to do what they wanted to do and how they wanted to do it and go about doing the things that they wanted to accomplish and all these things. This is what they want. Listen, I'm going to make my kingdom great. I'm going to take care of this. And so one of the demons recognizes that these men have no real authority. Absolutely zero authority and were nothing like Jesus and nothing like Paul. The demon rejects their attempts to expel him from the man and therefore um, cements the fact that the only reason demons leave is because of the authority and power of the Lord Jesus Christ. The only reason demons leave humanity alone is because of the power of the Lord Jesus Christ alone. And the apostles had the authority to drive out demons because Jesus, if you remember in in Matthew chapter 28, he said, all authority in heaven and earth is given to me. Now I'm going to extend some of that authority to you. Now go proclaim and make disciples. Go make disciples of all nations. So the apostles had the authority to drive out demons because God said they had the authority to do so. Demons understood who Jesus was and they have, um, they have no way, they have absolutely no way to contend with the Lord Jesus Christ because demons are created beings as well. They are not special God-like people or entities. They're, they're created beings that are with their fallen angels. They're, that's what demons are. Demons are fallen angels. And so... They, they don't have any authority or real power other than what God allows them to have. And we can see this in Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 13. Listen to this. This is um, the story where Jesus meets um, some, a, a man that's demon-possessed in Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 13. They went across the lake from the region of Germanius, and when Jesus got out of the boat, a man who was impure with that was filled with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. And the man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind in, couldn't bind him, even with chains. So this this demon was powerful. They tried to bind this man with chains, but he was such a he was infested with such a powerful demon. We're going to find out why in just a minute. But he was infested with this demon that was that, that couldn't even bind him with chains. They weren't even able to. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the iron off of his feet. 
No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. So he was living in a place of death because he was filled with the demons that pursued death. So that's where he was. Verse 6 of this text. When Jesus saw him from from a distance... The demon, this man, he ran and fell at his, at, at his knees in front of him. And he shouted out at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. Don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of him, you impure spirit. So listen. There was no contention here. He immediately, this demon, submits himself to God because he's God. Amen? So the demon, he gets there and he puts himself on his knees in submission before the God of the universe and pleads with him, please don't torture us. Please don't torture us. He's screaming this at the top of his voice. That's what the text says. Then Jesus asked him, Listen, he knew, but this is just an exercise here. What's your name? He said, my name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. So the reason this man was so strong is because he was infested with a multitude of demons. A legion of demons was infested in this man's body. He was strengthened by the power of these demons, but he was also tortured by demons these demons he may have been really strong but he was in the tombs day and night screaming cutting himself ripping things ripping himself and he replied and he begged jesus again and again notice again and again pleading with him do not send us out of this area please don't don't get rid of us don't throw us into the abyss don't get rid of us in this area A large herd of pigs was feeding nearby on the hillside. And the demons once again begged God, send us among the pigs and allow us to go unto them. And here's the crazy thing. Jesus grants their request. They request this. They don't demand anything from God. They request it. They know who Jesus is. They see who Jesus is. And they say what? God, please don't torture us. Please don't tear us apart. Rather, would you be merciful and just send us into the herd of pigs? Please do this. And he gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out of the man and went into the pigs. Now, this is just proof that the pigs were smarter than the man. (laughs) Watch what happens. About 2,000 pigs in number rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. These pigs were smart enough to realize, I'd rather be dead than have this thing in me. Human beings aren't that smart. Listen, there's, there's points and there's a reason we're called sheep. Sheep aren't exactly the most bright. These pigs were smart enough to realize, listen, we got to get away from this. We gotta, this is awful. The demons knew exactly who Jesus was and they were terrified of him. They plead with him not to torture them. And those demons, they ask for mercy and Jesus actually gives it. Like, that's, how great is our God that he's merciful to a demon? If he's merciful to a demon, 
Like, think about what's being offered to us as humanity. Think about the, the pardon that has been offered to us by the God of the universe. It's just, it's just mind-boggling that this is what, who our God is. How great is He? Another verse that I can think of that shows God's authority over the devil is Jude chapter 1 verse 9. Michael the archangel is resurrecting the body of Moses. And there, there's a point, and you say, how do you know that he's resurrecting the body of Moses? Because there's a point where Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration where it's, who's, who's on the Mount of Transfiguration with, you guys remember? Moses and Elijah, right? There's a picture for that for another day, another sermon, another time. But he's resurrecting the body of Moses and Satan comes to Michael the archangel and contends with Michael the archangel over the body of Moses. He's fighting with him. He's like, well, you can't do this. You can't resurrect him yet. No, 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 no. He didn't argue. He just says, the Lord rebuke you. And there's no, well, you know what? I need to have a little, I'm going to have a fight and argument with God. Satan doesn't do that. He submits. He submits to the authority and the power of God. And the point is that Jesus is the ultimate authority. There is no one else that can contend. He has no other contender. There's no such thing as Jesus and Satan in a a boxing ring and and Satan's got a chance. Satan doesn't have a chance against the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ has the ultimate and final authority and he grants authority to whom he wants to grant authority to. He had granted authority to Paul to be able to do the things that he needed to do. So Paul was in submission to the Lord Jesus Christ and doing what the Lord Jesus Christ asked him to do. So he had this authority. And what was he doing? He was healing. He was proclaiming the gospel. And he was in such alignment with the things of God that his handkerchief was doing the same thing. So we see in Acts chapter 19 that these men are attempting to show off that they are able to do what Paul does. And the primary reason is not the primary reason they're doing this is they're itinerant. They are traveling snake oil salesmen. They are looking to make a buck. And so I think of a lot of people that we have in our world today doing the same exact thing. They're making a buck off this thing. So look what happens when the men attempt to do this. They attempt to command this demon in the name of Jesus that Paul preaches. So they understand by just the, we can understand by just the phrasing of what they said here that they have no clue who Jesus is. They're just copycatting Paul. They're just copycatting Paul. Uh, I think of 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 5. It says they have a form, these people have a form of godliness, but deny the power of from such people, stay away from them. Turn away from these people. So these men are fakes, they're charlatans, they're frauds, and they and and have no real authority to do anything. So the demon answers these healers, and I use that in air quotes, and, and mock them, and and then um, he doesn't just mock them, but he leaps on these seven men. And beats them senseless. Beats them to where they're naked and wounded. They just have. They're, they just, that's what happens. 
And this is what needs to happen. It, it, these men, after this encounter, I would have gone home and rethought my life. Been like, wait a second. This is not, this isn't, there's something wrong here. This is, this, this just happened and we just got beat senseless. How many guys have ever been beat up and you rethink, man, I probably shouldn't do that again? Yeah, I mean, I, I, anybody ever been whipped up on somebody, but somebody whipped you and you're like, man, I, I probably ought not f- pick a fight again that I know I'm not going to win. I'd go home and rethink my life. And that's what happens to many in the area. Look at the text, verse 17. And this became known in all to the all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and the fear and fear fell upon all of them, and the name of the Lord Jesus Christ was extolled. So they became extremely afraid. They're like, wait a second, this is this is different. There's something otherworldly here. And they become afraid, and Jesus' name is extolled. That means it's made much of, it's proclaimed in the area that Jesus Christ is the ultimate authority. And many of those who were now now believers came and confessed and divulging their practices. So there were believers. Listen, there were people who followed the Lord Jesus Christ who were believers who were doing the same exact thing. They were trying to make a buck off of this practice. So they come confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had been practicing magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found out that it was 50,000 pieces of silver. Now we're going to find out how much that is here in a second. I did some research on that. That's nuts. I mean, we see this, that, that there's a lot of money to be made in the practice of mysticism. Even in 2022, this stuff is still being peddled. We got a store in Bar- like in Bartlesville, Oklahoma. There's a store that sells this stuff. Playing with Ouija boards, playing with other stuff, crystals and, and and stones to try to contact the dead. Scripture tells us over and over and over again: Don't do this. Don't go this route. You, you see it in First and Second Samuel where don't. Hey, listen, don't don't practice this kind of stuff. But there's a lot of money to be made off of this. There's a ton of money to be made. And these men, they saw what happened and the power and the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they brought their books and they laid them out and burned them. This was a sign that proved their genuineness and their repentance. They didn't hold back. They're like, well, I know that this is bad that I've got this book of magic and I, listen, I'm sorry I shouldn't do this, but I'm, a, I'm just going to put it in my cupboard for later just in case. No, they brought it to the fire and they burned it as a sign. Listen, we're done. We're done with this. Jesus is to be exalted, not my magic book, not my mysticism. It's, it's got to go. And so this proves their genuineness and their repentance. Having destroyed their books, they were, na- they were turning their backs on this kind of ill-gotten gain. So they were, trying, they were making money. Like, listen, 50 pieces of silver was equivalent to 50,000 days wages. 50,000 days of wages. 
a multitude of lifetimes worth of money was thrown into the fire so that they could love and serve Jesus Christ rather than mysticism, rather than their own stuff. They were desiring to obey and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what they wanted to do with their their lives. 50,000 pieces of silver thrown into the fire and said, Jesus, you're better than money. Jesus, you're better than fame. Jesus, you're better than whatever. And listen, that's the call for us today, is to be willing to lay down and throw away what's causing us to stumble. The things that are causing us to turn our back on the things of Jesus Christ need to be thrown into the fire. What's blocking you from having a genuine relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? What is genuinely blocking you from having the kind of relationship with Jesus Christ the way Paul had a relationship with Jesus Christ? You say, okay, well, that was back then and it's today. What's blocking you? I was talking to Gabe and Austin on the way up. I said the amount, like our little, we have screen time analysis that pops up every Sunday morning as we drive. And the screen time was, for me, it was down 19%. So I, I, I've looked at my screen 19% less last week than I did the week before. Gabe, how, how, what was yours at? Like 62%? Yeah, Gabe's was down 62%. And, and I said, think about that. So and it rations out and says, actually, you only looked at your screen four hours this week. Okay. Awesome. But you start looking at that. And that was four hours per day. Think about that. Four hours of my day is spent looking at that stupid phone. How many of us do the same exact thing? You know what it was last week? Six hours. Six hours a day looking at my phone. How distracted are we by technology? And we're so enamored and just, we veg. It's a, you know what, amusement park? Amuse means not to think. We're amused at our screens. We're not thinking. We're just sitting there staring at a video, scrolling, looking at pictures, looking at videos, looking at, at our, our, our attention spans are so small that you've got to watch, they've got to make videos now that are 15 seconds or less for, to keep you engaged or you'll just scroll past it. We're, we're dumbing ourselves down and we're, we're laying aside an authentic relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ for trivial, silly things. We're, we're, not, we're not engaged with one another in such a way that it grows our community of faith. We're, we're, we, we leave here, we go to our houses and we shut our doors and we go and veg for hours. I'm guilty, I do the same thing. Uh, I had a conversation this week with a, with a uh, man at camp. And we were talking about community. We are talking about church community and, and the fellowship of faith and how um, we talk a big game here at church. Like, oh, yes, being in community is so vital. But do we actually do it? No. And he started, he used, gives this, gave me this great analogy. He said, the LGBTQ community um, is, in terms of actual members of the LGBT community, is actually very minimal. They're a minority group in comparison to the, to the ratio of the amount of people in the United States. They are a tiny, tiny group. 
but they're a juggernaut. Why? Because they put an emphasis on community. The majority of people in the LGBT community gather nightly in each other's homes. Have dinner with one another. And those dinners, they're planning. They're executing the plans. They're working on an agenda. I've seen videos where they're they're even using our language now. They said, we're going to evangelize your children. They're using our... they've They've stolen our language! They took our language and said, we're going to evangelize your kids and you, don't, you won't even know it. But you're, and by the time we get them, it'll be too late. That's their own words. This group's words is we're going to evangelize. Why? Because they're organized. They're in a community and they're working at an agenda and they've got a plan and they're executing the plan. What are we doing as a church? Busy. Busy scrolling. The call is, you want a genuine... Revival? You want genuine faith? We've got to have, we've got to get in, we've got to get better in community. We've got to get better going to each other's homes, having dinner, talking about the things that we need to be doing. What's, the, what's our plan for this week? I, I have, I've laxed on this, but I used to make a goal for myself yearly that I wanted, I wanted to see one person saved. I wanted to be a part of evangelizing one person and seeing one person come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. What if every single one of us said, okay, that's my goal. We're gonna, and we got together and we're eating dinner. Hey, Chancy, what, how's your plan of evangelizing one person? Oh, Caleb, it's doing good. How about you? I got this guy that I've been talking to. How about you? What, what's yours? What's your, we, we got plans in place? And they, that's what this community does is they plan and execute and they're, they're, they're doing things that are destroying our world. But we've got, the opportunity, we've got the answer to what we should be doing so we can see God's kingdom advanced. And what are we doing? We're busy. What would it look like if all of us in the room desired to follow the Lord Jesus Christ with such abandonment the way Paul did? What would it look like if we submitted ourselves to God's will for our every ounce of our lives? Our whole world would be on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ. We would see revival. I believe just genuinely in my heart that we would see revival in our time if we took that kind of stance. How do I know? Because Paul preached to 12 men in the beginning of Acts chapter 19 and as a result the entire nation heard the word of God. How do I know? Because the text tells us that the entire nation heard the word of God. What would the world look like what would the world look like if we took this seriously what in the world is stopping us from getting on our faces before God and repenting of our apathy repenting of our our trivial attitude towards sin what would it look like if we repented of our sinfulness and repented of our love for the things of this world over the things of God What's stopping you this morning from doing that exact same thing? So what if someone sees you come up front and kneel down? So what if somebody sees you come forward and pray and ask God to do a work in your heart? So what? Well, Caleb, you, you, don't, you don't know. Who are you trying to, who are you trying to please here? 
You're trying to, well, I don't want people to think I'm messed up. You are a mess, just like me. You're a mess. So what if somebody sees you come and kneel down and pray? Are you trying to please men or are you trying to please God? You getting on your knees this morning and praying for God to move in your life is like, it's just an encouragement for the rest of us. Leadership is doing difficult things. And guess what? Somebody might follow you. Somebody just might say, you know what? Man, I saw him go down. Maybe I ought to go. Yeah, he's, he's doing, he's making, he's getting real with the Lord. Maybe it's time for me to get real with the Lord. And what would it look like if, maybe you say, well, Caleb, I, I, man, I'll, I'll pray, but I'm, I, I'm genuinely repented up. I am. I'm, I'm, I'm on. And what would it look like if you saw somebody on their knees this morning, you're praying, and you just came up behind them, and you put your hands on them, and you prayed over them while they were praying. God, to strengthen them, he, just whatever's going on, God, I pray that you do a work in their life, and their heart. What would it look like if we as a church did this exact same thing, and we said, listen, we're done with the apathy. We're done with this. What if it, we, we were like these other believers who had done all these different practices and divulged all this, and they couldn't Confessed it to the Lord and said, God, I'm sorry that I've, I've been apathetic towards your word. I've been apathetic about evangelism. I've been apathetic about the things of the church. God, I'm sorry. And the number of those who had practiced these things, listen, what would it look like? What would it look like? You getting on your knees this morning and praying for God to move just might encourage someone else to do the exact same thing and then the next person, and then the next person, and the next person. And guess what? It's a domino effect. But it starts with one human being saying, I'm, I'm, okay, I'm done. God, I'll follow you. God, I'll trust you. God, where I've been angry. God, where I've been bitter. God, where I've been unforgiving. God, where I've been hateful. God, where I've had an attitude of just, just wickedness. God, forgive me. You've been listening to a sermon from Pastor Caleb Gordon of First Baptist Church of Cedarville, Kansas. We pray this message encourages and blesses you this week. If you'd like to join us to worship in person, we meet every Sunday at 11 a.m. at 418 Monroe Street in Cedarville, Kansas. We would love to see you. Find out more about us online at our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Baptist. If these messages bless you in any way, please consider giving to help support the ministry of First Baptist Church. Our mailing address is First Baptist Church, Cedarville, Kansas, P.O. Box 456, Cedarville, Kansas 67024. God bless you.